Hello and welcome to the Comedian's Paradise. This is a podcast where we speak to transcendent, amazing, hilarious and fantastic characters from across the globe that help comedians like you and me live this comedic journey on our own terms. If you like this podcast, share it to your friends, give us a five-star review on Amazon or iTunes, or most importantly, subscribe and enjoy this fantastic ride with me. Now, today's guest is an absolutely awesome guest. He is like Domino's Pizza combined with Netflix. He is an amazing comedian from Malaysia. He is, he is his name is Rizal Van Gezel, and he is a mixture of Dutch and Chinese. So you could say he's high, but he's very strict about it. <laughs> but he's an amazing comedian. You guys are going to absolutely love him. And he has a fascinating story that's going to absolutely transfix you. Please welcome Rizal. Hey, mate. Hey, Marvin. Hey, guys. Thank you so much for having me. And uh, great job in pronouncing my name uh, correctly. That was well done. Good effort. It was. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, it, that was spot on. Like, like Weezal is really a cuter version of what is supposed to be Rizal, but <laughs> okay. That's Rizal. the accent, isn't it? That's the accent, right? It's like, I've heard that like, yeah. Uh, I, I used to play rugby uh, back in my teens and one of the my teammates was a Welsh guy who also had that same uh, accent that you carry where he couldn't, he couldn't pronounce R's. Well, he would always call me Wizow, Wizow. Whip it, whip it, one it, one it. And I'm like, what are you saying? What are you saying? Are you saying to rip it and run it? I'm like, yeah. I'm like, okay. Mate, whip it doesn't sound right. Whip it sounds like you're going to show your organ and flash it to someone. Uh, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, things things happen in rugby. Um, oh, I'm, I'm, I know. I've seen it. It's, I mean, some people like the tackling in more ways than one. <laughs> You know, they, especially when they all part on top of each other, you wonder, wondering what the reason is. Guys, yeah, stop, stop yeah. engaging. Off. <laughs> there was some borderline homoerotic stuff going on during the game. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I mean I had a great time. I I, I ended up playing for state and 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 uh, winning gold gold medal for under 21 playing for my state. I don't know. I think it did some permanent damage to me. Uh, especially after seeing that movie with Will Smith and the movie about concussion. Don't you, did you ever see that? Yeah, well, that's the thing with rugby. Let's, I mean, this short segment of rugby. Um, it's there's an England World Cup winner who suffered concussion and now he's starting to get Alzheimer's and he's only about 38 or 40. Damn, see, yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, when I saw that movie, I was like, yeah, I kind of had that feeling when I was playing it. I'm like, I don't think human beings are meant to be doing this. You know, fucking Bob, you know, hitting their heads together. And especially, I mean, and, and, and the Will Smith movie, that was about American football where they're wearing helmets and, and, and heavy padding. In rugby, it's just, you know, just, just body and, and jersey. And that's it. Maybe even a little headgear. Yeah. But yeah, uh, that's really sad about... Uh, that English player you mentioned, oh man, so it has some effects then, yeah. Well, I mean, it's a, 
but before we move back up to comedy, I mean, they're, they're, both, <laughs> they're both similar in some ways. They're both a bit like a battlefield in a way. But I mean, like um, with a lot of fighting sports that are concussion, like MMA, boxing and Muay Thai, where there's a lot of, it's even football. I think it, it definitely has adverse effects later on. Yeah. Um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo, I'm not too sure though. I mean, because they're more grappling-based things, so they're probably not as damaging as those. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I'm gonna I'm gonna make sure that my son gets into, uh, you know, something solo, like I don't know. BJJ. Yeah, BJJ. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Actually, actually, jujitsu would be ideal, especially for my daughter too, because you know, self-defense and all that, close contact. Uh, very, very practical. Very, very practical. It's now comedy is also a bit like oh look at the Segway Visa. <laughs> but how how did you so how did you so you did a bit of rugby and you like you're part Dutch and you're part Chinese. How did you get into comedy and what was your upbringing that led you into it? Uh, well, I think because of my mixed heritage and my mixed race and going to a Malaysian public school. I was always the, the one that I was always a bit different uh, in terms of, you know, the way I look, the way I sound, and even my name was different than everybody else. So I was always like uh, a bit of an outcast amongst my, my, uh, my peers when I was growing up, you know? So I always felt like comedy was always a way for me to sort of allow myself to fit in with, with everybody else. You know, so if I could make people laugh, they'll accept me as one of them, you know, and, uh, you know, growing up in Kuala Lumpur, you know, you, being a comedian was probably more of a fantasy then because nobody really makes a, makes a living out of being, you know, being funny, especially not in the, not during the nineties. Uh, and, and if you did, it had to be in the Malay language, you know which is my second language, which is the language I learned when I was in school. But at, at home, we always spoke English. And I was always in tune to what was going on in, you know, in, in the Western world. I was always in tune to watching, you know, uh, comedians from America uh, when I was much younger. And then when I was, when I was reaching my mid-teens, uh, some of my dad's British expat friends they had, they gave me a full on collection of BBC comedy shows, uh, stuff like uh, Only Fools and Horses, Phoenix Nights. Oh. Uh, yeah, good shit. I did not understand a word of what was going on when I first watched it, but I kind of, I was, there was something about it that was very captivating. I think the fact that it, it was, it was a medium that came from another country uh, that we should otherwise understand because it's fucking English, right? But I, I didn't understand. So I watched it again and again and again. And obviously I had the subtitles on until it, it started to, to hit me and it started to resonate with me. And I, I was getting the jokes. I was laughing at the irony. I was laughing at the sarcasm, all these things that I would have otherwise, uh, I want to say been deprived of, but it's, it sounds like as though that, you know, <laughs> like as though that, that is actually some privileged shit. But, uh, yeah, otherwise I would not have been exposed to, you know, quality comedy in the sense, right? Yeah. 
you know, in Malay comedy is more in tune to, you know, slapstick and funny voices and, uh, you know, costumes and mm. what have. So there is some interesting points there because I had um, there's a New York booker called Sean Eli, and he's the biggest theater producer in New York. And he said when he did some gigs in different parts of um, Asia or other countries, some of them were they just expats were a bit hacky with the they're very hacky because they're not exposed to good comedy. Mm-hmm. So, and another thing you said there was quite interesting was after asked you this question, do you like that scene in the bar where he falls over? <laughs> I, I I'm trying my I'm trying to remember, but there was so many scenes in the bar. <laughs> Okay. Um, You're talking about only fools and horses, right? Yeah, I'll, I wanna, I'm going to tell you, yeah, I'll show you this scene and let's see what you think. <laughs> yeah, I'll show you it. Let's see. Uh, let's see. Only fools and horses. That's my podcast. I was captivated. They're pretty good. Put it louder. Can you hear it? That didn't make any difference. But yeah, I can still hear it. No worries. Uh huh. I think we're on a winner here, three. All right. Play it nice and cool, son. Nice and cool. You know what I mean. <laughs> <laughs> drink up, drink, drink up, we're leaving. <laughs> Are you going to try for them birds? No, no, you're cramping my style, mate. You're cramping my style. <laughs> uh, see. See, uh, and what this show came around, what, the, the late 80s or the early 90s, the late that. 80s, right? Yeah. And see, the, the, that's, that was really, that was so good, right? That was uh, such quality uh, stuff that they had already going on in, in, uh, in, that, in that part of the world, you know? We, we had a bit of a late start to it, I would say. Very late start. Maybe so, it's good, though. Maybe it's a good thing. Yeah, I suppose. I mean, uh, I'm failing to see in what way. But, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, I mean, the good thing about it is that we get to pave the way for ourselves. Like we have to be, we have to be our own Richard Pryor. We have to, we have to be our own. Uh, Lenny Bruce's, you get what I mean? Because we don't have any of those here that we can look up to. You know what I mean? Like we, we, don't, have, we don't have any legends here that we can sort of uh, take notes from or, or follow mm. in the steps of or, or you know, just, just learn from. We kind of have to do things ourselves. Yeah. The thing about well, is that we kind of have to step up and do more than, you know, 
than what we I don't know maybe maybe not so also the, the, you know like I mean the, it, it's it the, the 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 comedy scene if you want to call it that right there's a little scene here we got going right there's only like there's only like I don't know twelve professional working stand-up comedians in Malaysia and and all of them are in just in Kuala Lumpur one state one out of 14 states right the capital right and that's it and I'm and I'm even exaggerating the numbers there 12 there might just be 10 you know so there's so it's such a small community that makes us have to be sort of helpful to each other you know we sort of have to look out for each other help help out each other that I mean there's no it's like there's no competition there's only com com complement there's only complimentary. Okay. I've ran, I've ran the Crackhouse Comedy Club, right? Which is the country's first dedicated full-time stand-up comedy club in 2014. And then a few others popped up after that. And a lot of people kind of went up to me and they're like, ooh, you got somebody else running another joint, another venue. And I'm thinking like, yeah, and it's a good thing. It's a great thing. Competition is healthy when you're starting at this level, this very small beginner level of, of building, you know, a scene or, you know, in, in, I, want, I don't even want to say industry because there's no, it's not even an industry, a scene, like a scene, an underground scene, you know? So when there were other comedy clubs that opened up, I was really happy about it. And I was kind of like, and I was in, and, and it was, you know, the, the funny thing was, you know, all, all, all the acts would be like, you know, they'll all try and hide it from me that they're performing in that other, the other place and I would always laugh at them I'm like you can tell me that you're performing there in fact you should perform there you should get stage time in a different place it's only going to benefit your craft it's only going to make you a better comic so that every time you step back into my club you you bring that that extra game that you learn you know mm -hmm. otherwise you're just going to be doing the same shit we're going to be staying there's a very you know um, uh, uh, we're going to be constantly stuck in mediocrity. You know what I mean? So, so I was, I, I very much encourage other comics to jump up on others, other stages, you know, other venues that run it. My only, uh, my only uh, wish would be that the people running it would, at, would know how to run it and do a decent job because of it being, okay, now this is now one of the bad things about starting a scene from scratch, right? Is that everybody gives stand-up comedy the hardest hit, the hardest hit. Like if they watch a bad musician and the musician is just like not their agent, yeah. they will never blame music. They'll be like, oh, this music's not for me. They'll just say this guy you know, is having a bad day at work or this guy cannot sing to save his life. They'll always point it to that guy. Right. Similarly to football, and this is probably you know relevant to you now. You know, it's not that football, the, the art of football is bad, or the way that they built the, the game is bad. No, your uh -huh. team was shit, and that's why you lost. <laughs> you know what I mean? But when people go to a stand-up comedy show, and especially if it's their first time watching live stand-up comedy and they see a bad show, like from start to finish, just awkwardness, just like people don't know what the hell they're doing. 
they will never invest their time or their money to watch another live show ever again. They would never even think about hiring a comedian for their any you know any any sort of uh, function or private event that they might have. They might not even consider live comedy on their outing ever again. This is this is probably one of the bad things about when we're building a new scene. Am I making any sense? Yeah, no, no. I, I had a bit of a thought on that because, yeah, it, I know exactly what you mean. It's a bit like when I, if you go to a country and you're the only person they know from that country, like a group, they will always associate anyone they see afterwards with you. So that's that's the same sort of thing because there's no base in Malaysia and there's no like sort of oh Malay like there's no established reputation or look at it thing of they will judge they're more quick to judge and not bother yeah. going to it that's and that's yeah. and you have to be careful because of that yeah yeah and so we can only hope that people will just be wise about it you know that people that especially people you meet that will you be wise to, to know that i don't represent my nation when i when i come visit yours i don't represent my community i'm just an individual you know i can tell you things about it but ultimately there's a lot more going on like just like in in, in stand up i just hope that the people watching it would be the wiser and like so 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 if they were to watch like give give it a chance They're like and because most of these shows that i might be referring to come from the open micers that never got more than three minutes at my club they'll come in and they'll always think that they'll get more time and i'm like nope you stick in the three minutes nope you stick in the three minutes and they they get genuinely upset they're like why am i not getting any time i said yeah because because you realize that your three minutes goes on for quite a long time you know what i mean like unless the audience feels like oh where did he go i want to see more of him next time you will get more time but until until you until you get until you make the audience get over the fact that, that when you're performing they go oh god is this guy still on it's not even two minutes yet you're still getting three minutes so what happened was a bunch of these open micers they didn't get more time right they they they, they still hadn't put in the the stage time they hadn't put in the hours you know the, the minutes on stage and so they wanted they wanted they ran other shows so that they could have more time uh so my only hope is that the people watching would be the wiser they would know that okay so this is another open mic night that's that's not run as well as you know the, the permanent full-time place that at least even though they run an amateur night or, a, or a, an open mic night or a beginner's night, they at least keep it at a certain quality. Well, that's not fair to say. There's no quality control at an open mic night. But that's why I'm very strict with the three-minute time. So we can put up to 12 comments in one night, but they all of them get three minutes, right? So it's boom, bang, boom, bang, boom, bang, boom, bang. And we make sure we explain it through the, the MC, through the, 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 you know, the poster, through the people calling into book that it is an open mic night. There is no quality control. You don't know what you're going to expect. You may or may not have a good show, <laughs> but that's why the tickets are so cheap. So we hope that more people that would come, they would sort of learn 
the mechanics or, or the format of the shows that we're selling, not so much just enjoy the show and fuck off and then, you know, come back again, but also understand how comedy works. You know, like you pay a certain amount, a certain, you know, very low amount to watch, you know, a, a 90 minute show with 15 comics. You're, you're, there's bound to be some hit and miss. You know what I mean? But if you come on the weekend, you pay a little bit more, but you're only watching three or four comedians. Know that three or, these three or four comedians know what the fuck they're doing. And, and you know, you're bound, you're guaranteed at least three out of four will be good at the very least, if not two out of four, but that, that's really a failure to me. I want at least three out of four of them to be good. There might be one comic that might not take, you know, some people in the audience might not fancy because of, you know, preference and you know, subjectivity of comedy yeah, and yeah. so far, such and such, you know. And also some of them may have a bad night. So if you have three quality ones, they can, they can cover for them. I mean, even if you're really good, you you will have an off night, and it's good to have that base to cover them. That's right. Yeah, uh, that's why. I mean, it, it's. I mean, the, the the burden really falls on the headliner because he's the last one up, right? He's the one that's closing the show. Uh, and I mean, there have there have been some funny nights for, for me. I would say where <laughs> the headliner cannot follow the opening acts, uh, and this could even happen to some of the biggest comics some of the most, should I say biggest, most popular comic in Malaysia. Uh, I shan't say his name, but if you look him up, there's only the one, right? And I, I think he's, he's been pandering to the masses so long that when we started the underground scene and we started to get exposed, we were looking at, you know, UK comedy, we were looking at American comedy and then uh, UK, UK comedians, Australian comedians would travel through and perform. And I, I saw acts like Jimmy McGee, Phil Nichol. Uh, I saw acts like Gina Yashere, uh, Shazia Mirza. I saw all these acts in my early uh, part of my career 10 years ago. And they were playing shit venues here like fucking Hard Rock Cafe because the promoters were just looking to make money and not really sell comedy, right? But they, they were getting great acts. So we were being exposed then to good quality stand-up. So we were like, okay, so this is the level that we should aspire to. We shouldn't pander to, to, to what we think that the Malaysian audience likes, which is like I said, funny voices, dialogue and slapstick and all that, right? This is the level we should aspire to. We should bring it up to this level, right? So when the underground scene came out, we brought our game up. Like we were, we were really trying to be as good as the international acts we were watching. So whenever, when we had the Malaysia's most popular comedian, he would come up and a line would form outside the club. Fucking long, people would line up to watch him because he's so popular, okay? Based on his popularity, he would go up, sorry, he would be on the poster and sell out in two hours, sell out, okay? So the show would have two acts, three acts in the first half, and then we go to a break, and then maybe there'll be a five-minute warm-up before the headliner. Otherwise, just the headliner straight away, right? Man, we, I brought on opening acts. Some of my buddies, they fucking, they were hitting that notes and fucking smashing it, smashing it, smashing it. And then Malaysia's most popular comedian pops up, and people, for the first two minutes, or should I say three minutes, people are happy. People are like, woo! Because the novelty of it, this guy in the flesh, 
I've seen him on TV. I've heard his voice on radio. I've seen the billboards. Now he's right now, he's in front of me in this dodgy looking comedy club standing on, on top of a faultless pallet, right? He's here. That energy dies off in three minutes. After that, he starts doing his, you know, his stuff and it doesn't oh. follow through. Doesn't follow through. The energy drops a little bit. Yeah, he gets a bit of laughs here and there. After the show, I would get private messages from my regulars saying, hey, Riz, your opening acts tonight, fucking game changers, man. Uh, you know, then he would mention the headliner, however, same old, same old, you know. So that, that, that can happen too, where the headliner can't follow the opening acts. But usually I don't have this problem when I have international acts, especially acts from the UK. Fucking man, I had so many, I miss them, man. I miss having Alistair Berry, Andre Vincent. All of them have come to Kuala Lumpur, have played my club. And, and they've had such, a, well, I hope that, you know, we've had such a good experience watching them entertaining them, taking them around the city. That seems like a different time now, Marvin, you know? This is very interesting because I've got, a, there's so many things that i got to say on, there's a few things I've got to say on that because, um, yeah, is, and this bit I'm going to take out, um, is it Jason Lung? Oh, no, it's not. It's not Jason Leung. Jason Leung is a killer here now. He's, he's dynamite now. He's come a long way. So you're talking about Jason Leung, the doctor. Yeah, the one as a, yeah, him. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can see why you thought that it was him though, because, you know, he can sometimes be a bit of a cunt. But... <laughs> <laughs> Definitely get rid of this bit. And I say that, and I say that with endearment. <laughs> as you do in the UK, right? He's a good cunt. Uh, so he's, he's good. I, hey, you know... I, I, I got to give props to where, you know, I got to give credit to where it's due. Jason has worked very hard to be where he is today. Granted, when he first started out, good Lord, he was shit. He was so shit. He was terrible. And, and I was there. I, I started at the same time with him, see? And I used to have to pick up the pieces after Jason. Every time he would go up, boom, energy would just drop. Fucking awkwardness. People would start questioning, you know, why did they go there? I would have to go on after this act and revive that and make them feel like, hey, you know, it's okay. Uh, you know, this is not such a bad experience after all, you know? And I, I, guess, I, I guess that was good, good training for me to, to be a better comedian, right? So I, I, I should really thank him for that. But then there was times when he would insist to close the show. He would be fucking like, dude, have you not seen your act? And he, you know, he comes out like, hey, tonight, I think I want a headline. I think I want to close. I'm like, mate, have you not seen your act? Why would you want to wreck everything that we have fucking worked so hard to build up, you know? But he's, he was so confident. He was just full of, you know, just, you know, like he wouldn't give a shit. Like, I still want to close the show. And we let him, you know? And mind you, this was 10 years ago. Short, fast forward to now, he's dynamite. He can go after me, he can go before me. 
he might not do as well before me, but he can certainly go after me. Sorry, he, he might not do as well after me. <laughs> I fucked that up. <laughs> he's, he's good, he's good, he's good. Uh, he's come a long way. Uh, I always use Jason as an example of how hard work can trump natural talent. <laughs> but it's, but I've, what's it called? Um, what is it I want to get at now? So what you said there about people having a funny impression of comedy if the night goes badly, that is still an issue in the UK as well. I don't know about America because I haven't gigged that much over there. But, I mean, one of the promoters there said, because you see a lot of heckler videos, people think it's acceptable to go and heckle people in America because of those. Ah, that one. Okay, I got it. And we won't say his name. <laughs> but he he says that because of... Yeah, and one of the things in the UK is, I think that that's a problem we have over here as well, because a lot of people only go to comedy sometimes if they see who's been on TV. It's, it's in some ways it's affected live comedy, but with the pandemic, what I've noticed is people have been more appreciative of comedy. Yes, and easier to get people in. So, yeah. Yeah. but they've been a bit last minute, so that might ha trickle over into your night as well when things get back to normal. Yeah, people people are just buying into the experience more than just you know who they're going to see, which has always been our. Um, I was sort of uh, our, our, our um, what's the word I'm looking for? Which has always been our, <laughs> shit. Uh, which has always been our, uh, our, uh, fuck, I'm at a loss for words now. It's always been our business, what's the word? Uh, come on, help me out here. Uh, business, um, plan okay let's just go with that so it's been our plan because when, when we first opened we had our opening act was butch bradley from america papa cj from india oh uh yeah second week we had uh paul meyerhog from canada the third week we had uh, alistair berry from the uk right nobody in kuala lumpur knows who the fuck these people are nobody but i guess because uh, we we put up, well, I guess, well, me and my peers, we put up such good shows. The public would give us some level of trust to know that we would be bringing in the good guys, the funny guys and girls, right? Hmm. So people were coming in, not because of they know who this guy is or who that guy is, but because they, were, they know that they're going to have a good time. Hmm. When they left the show, they don't know that they just watched Prince Abdi. They don't know that they just watched Nick Coppin or uh, uh, what's that dude with the Bossa Nova guy? Oh man, I missed him. Uh, Holly Hoon? No, I don't know. No, no, no. no. The, uh, he's, he's very eccentric. Uh, Tony Moore. Uh, no, no, he's very, he wears a, he wears a ruffled three-piece suit. Um, he lives on Portobello Road. He's very posh. Uh, oh, Tom Allen. Uh, mu musical genius and sex symbol, Earl Oaken. Oh, Earl Oaken. Oh. B wonderful guy. 
wonderful guy. Just uh, he wore that three-piece suit even off stage when we took him out to the roadside hawker stalls. <laughs> I remember picking him up because I saw videos of him, right? And he always has this this pintailed. Uh, ruffled three-piece suit, right? He always had that three-piece suit on on every video I saw him. So I was kind, of, I was like, oh, okay, this guy, you know, he has an act. You know, he's an act. You know, he's not just t-shirt and jeans kind of comedian or, you know, shirt and pants kind of comedian. He really, he's an act. You know. And then uh, I pick him up for, I, I watch him perform. He would do his magic. Fucking everybody would laugh. And then I, I said, Earl, I'd love to take you out for lunch tomorrow to some Malaysian food. You know, if you would, if you would love to, you know, for, to be a part of, you know, a little experience. And he was like, oh, yes, that would be very nice. Yes, very nice. <laughs> <laughs> and then I'd pick him up and he'd come out of the hotel room wearing the exact same thing. <laughs> <laughs> that he wears on stage. I'm like, uh, Earl, it's, you know, it's, uh, it's like, it's like almost, almost, you know, 28, 30 degrees outside. Are you sure you're going to be fine wearing that? And his response was, yes, I keep myself well ventilated. Thank you. I was like, <laughs> okay. Yeah. What a character. What a character. So old school. He was, he would tell me that he was, he would be, he wouldn't collect, you know, like people listen to vinyls. You think those is old school. He listened to cylinders. Do you remember when they used to make music in little cylinders and they have the, the needles oh. that go across the cylinders as they, as they turn like this. Yeah. <laughs> he was the collector of those things. Oh, what a good guy. And he, yeah, should write to him soon. So one thing I want to ask you about when you're getting these sort of comedians from across the globe, do you, what do you, do you, what you pay for the travels? I mean, what, what, how does it go? Well, how, well, how do you get well, them to come here? We, we would pay for their domestic travel. So if they would be, they would come here as far as Singapore or Hong Kong or Bangkok, we would then pay for their flight into Kuala Lumpur. We could not afford their flight from the UK. Hell no. No, no. So they would have to meet us halfway because they know the capacity we're working with. You know, we were, we are, we're a, a, a 90, uh, well, 90 to 120 capacity room. We're selling tickets that are, oh fuck, I would say what, uh, eight pound per person. I'm, I'm just doing the conversion in my head, eight to nine or maybe even less than 10 pounds per person to watch an international stand-up comedy gig. What what would it cost in London to watch an international to watch a, uh, a you know a, a, a top uh, act uh, you know uh, in a comedy club? What, what what's the ticket price? So, in a top night in in a comedy store, it's probably around twenty pound on the weekend. Well, but that's double. Yeah. I mean, if you want to see Dave Chappelle at the Apollo now, the prices that I've seen they're around two hundred pound and above. Uh, okay, yeah, but that's that's like that that's that's like, uh, you know, that's that's like uh, arenas, right? That's like a huge arena. That's like theater, right? It's like if you were to watch Bill Burr or something like that. Oh yeah, like yeah. you said, Bill Chappelle. Oh yeah, yeah. But I'm talking like club, uh, you know, club capacity. Oh yeah, that sort of price. Yeah. Twenty pound. Yeah. No, so we we're we're so undercharging here. <laughs> we're so undercharging. This is something that we used to always tell our um, 
uh, our punters at every show. We're like, if you saw this comedian in their country, you'd be paying three times more. But here in your own neighborhood, you get to watch them for fucking 10 pounds or you know, much less than that. Yeah. Uh, so we would always <laughs> yell that to our punters, like, be grateful, you fuckers. <laughs> Just sitting here. Yeah, it's, it's they, they charge. What I mean, it, it's the UK pays quite well compared to a lot of other countries I hear. Yeah. Uh, okay, and how? So how how do you get them? To, so they they they're all keen to come over. Like you you say, right? We'll pay for your hotel. You get we'll get you a masseuse. We'll get you. A, I don't know what was that. Does it work? So how does it work? How do you? You're quite close them? there, actually. The the guy that I have to give credit to, uh, for 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 being the middle person to be our liaison, to rope in to connect us with the, with the international circuit. I would say, is my former partner of the Crack House Comedy Club, Jonathan Atherton who's an Australian comedian. Have you heard of him? Yes, I hear he speaks 10 languages. Yeah, he does. He does. This guy is dynamite. He's, 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 he's legend. He's legend on stage. Uh, uh, as a business partner, no, nah, he's, he's fucked up. So let's, and let's leave it at that. Uh, but yeah, so he, when I, when I first started out in my, uh, doing open mic night, most of the top acts that I would see in Kuala Lumpur, the international headliner shows with Tom Rhodes, Craig Hill, Daniel Sloss, was all because of the connections that was made through this guy, this one man, Jonathan Atherton. So we were very lucky then to have him around the city. And it's funny you should say masseuse because he was, uh, he was quite a frequent of the, uh, the local uh what's the word I sh what's the word i should use of the local lady of the night yeah <laughs> be polite yes fuck it fuck it i'll just say it. whorehouses okay, okay. <laughs> he, was, he, was, uh, he was very much you know <laughs> a, a regular at these places and a lot of the comedians that come through he would take them he always says i'll take you there because it's got the best food uh <laughs> and <laughs> And this is mainly in Singapore, where they, it's legalized, by the way. They have the uh, Orchard Towers, or otherwise known as the Four Floors of Halls. I'm not kidding. Have you heard of it? No, but I'm going to head over to Singapore now. <laughs> I'm joking. Yeah, well, I don't know whether they're still in business because of COVID. But yeah, they actually legalized, uh, you know, working girls there. They legalized, Whoa. Um, you know. Uh, hanky panky. <laughs> <laughs> okay, and, and tell us and what happened there. So he he. So you say, "Good day, mate. You want a bit of fun as well, alongside a good gig." Waza waza waza. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, he'd sell he sell the comedy first. <laughs> he'd sell the comedy because I think he had a reputation that he that he was uh, already a, a good showrunner. He was already a good promoter that he would set the room up nice, he would find a conducive room, and he would always MC. So you rest assured, he's like, as I said, Jonathan is fucking dynamite. He's a legend on stage. So I think 
international headliners knew to a certain extent that the show will always be well run from the venue selection to the lineup to the MC done that is good so there was already some level of trust that 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 was there for them to come into the city and perform granted maybe the pay would not be as great as if they would get in the UK or in Australia or in America or in Canada or in wherever they were from however they know that it would at least cover their expenses while they're traveling through and i think comedians that were coming through here performing here they were looking for things that they, uh, that were above monetary value of above financial value they were looking for experience of performing in asian countries to an asian audience where english is their second or third or maybe fourth language so a lot of them were uh, very keen to come over you know maybe they were they were they were reaching a stage back home in the uk or in australia or in the, or in the us where they were just plateauing and they, they were not maybe uh, you know they were not really leveling up creative wise so they would travel right travel as we all know is the fuel of comedy the more you travel the more you step out of your comfort zone the more ideas you get the more perspective the bigger your perspective becomes you know the, the stronger your act gets as well so a lot of them were looking to get that that's that's just my assumption right that's i mean that only explains why glen wool would come to kuala lumpur and play the holiday inn <laughs> so so he he did very well jonathan atherton did very well to establish Malaysia or Kuala Lumpur and Singapore as a place where international comedians can do perform comedy to an audience in a conducive room uh, so slowly but surely the word spread out next thing you know we didn't have to look for comedians comedians would come looking for us you know it's how i met ollie horn ollie was traveling through nepal and doing gigs in japan and then he started looking out to different venues and uh uh promoters in southeast asia so he must have somehow come across my name or the crack house and say hey uh you know i'm now based in japan uh, i can fly myself down there if you guys can put me up for a gig and maybe pay for my hotel and something for the gig itself and which is very doable for us and you know we can we can certainly do that um so yeah ah so you you basically make yourself like sound like tony soprano from soprano it's like hey come on we can get you a gig we can get you a hotel we can get you a bit of pay you know what i'm saying eh yeah yeah exactly except we wouldn't uh have to kill anyone except the audience i don't know ah you lost you lost me there marvin i'm not a soprano's guy <laughs> sorry <laughs> no I feel like I should say something to like get like the Sopranos people who watch Sopranos go like yeah 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 but I sorry it's, it's nothing my bad I'm sorry <laughs> so and that's so that's ah and do do you occasionally go looking for comics as well or or does that or they just all come to you they would all come to us to 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 a point where we were doing international headliners every weekend and I don't know how I did it I mean yeah there might be maybe one out of one weekend in two months where i would need to source out a comedian and i'd usually look to the regional acts the ones around the region the one from the philippines or from singapore or hong kong 
uh, and they, they, they're really good. They're, some of them are absolutely dynamite. And the local audience resonate towards uh, other local acts, I would say. So this, this is another interesting, interesting topic, right? When it comes to comedy, local people that watch, they prefer local comedians as opposed to movies and music. When it comes to music, everybody looks to, you know, now I guess the biggest thing now is K-pop, right? From Korea, or they just look, they basically look international. When it comes to like right now on Netflix, I think eight out of 10 movies that Malaysians are watching on Netflix are all from America or the UK or Australia or Europe, right? There's not so much keen to watch our own content. I don't know why, but that's just the way it is. But when it comes to live stand-up comedy, they're more in tune. They're more inclined to listen to buy a ticket. <laughs> no what? That's, that's my baby girl. They're, they're more inclined to buy a ticket to watch a local act because they feel that they can relate to them more. You know? So this is like for you, I, I hear like, I go, hey, hello, hey, ha, hello, auntie. Hi, 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 Rizal. Your comedy club got show up. I said, yeah, God, God. You should come lah. This weekend, I have a very funny comedian from Australia. Very funny. Michael Nevin. Very, very good. He's, he's a big festival headliner. Huh? He's very funny, auntie. Australia. I scared. I don't understand the accent. Ah. When is your, when is uh, uh, Jason performing? Ah? You know what I mean? Like they, Ah. They're, they, they, they're not they're, they're not going to give the time of day to try and understand the culture from another person they'd rather hear somebody talk about their own culture you know what i mean mm. that is true yeah so but you said but philippines so you say philippines and comedians from thailand do well in 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 malaysia local bred ones yes grassroots grassroots comedians yes not so much the expats not the expat not like the, the, the you know the, the the uk or the australian expat that you know migrated or uh, working in thailand and started doing comedy there no 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 there, there's some of them that are good i'm not going to discredit all of them some of them are good yeah. but i'm talking about the grassroots ones the ones that are born and bred there like myself that want to make a name for ourselves in comedy and want to bring that level of comedy to our community to our city so like from singapore there's fakafaz rishi budrani sam c Sharul chana in philippines there's gb labrador alex kalieha and in in hong kong there's vivek mabubani uh, and these people are grassroots comics from their respective hometowns who saw probably like me saw stand-up comedy on a v VCR, if they're my age or if they're older, DVD, uh, or if they're even younger, uh, YouTube, whatever, right? They saw it and they thought, I want to do this. I want to be an original stand and 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 do it here, right? And they wrote their own material and they, they, they bring their own game up, you know? So. Mm. So yeah, usually when I would have to source for, for other comedian, when I would have to source for a comedian myself, obviously, like I said, I cannot call up a comedian in the UK and say, can you come over to Kuala Lumpur for just one gig? <laughs> it's, it's a lot of, it's the, the flight fees would be uh, very expensive. I couldn't afford it. So the easiest one would be the headliner from the Philippines or from Hong Kong uh, or Australia, actually. Australia is the closest uh, uh, white people country that we can access 
for uh, white people comedy. <laughs> what about Russia? <laughs> oh, I only know one comedian from Russia, uh, and I can't pronounce his name. Uh, I can't pronounce his name. <laughs> oh, like Denislov? No, 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 no. Uh, anyway, uh, I'll, I'll find out what his name is. <laughs> Anyway, he's, he's Singapore-based. He's headlined Crack House once. It was very good. And yeah, uh, I don't know. Uh, uh, I don't know of any other Russian comedians. The one you just mentioned, who is that? Oh, he runs a and big... I hope he's not listening, by the way, because this is very insulting, the way I just asked about who, who is this guy? <laughs> he probably isn't. He, uh, his name is Oleg Denisov. He runs an English-speaking comedy night called Steal the Show. Oh, in Russia, Moscow. Yeah, cool. I'll look him up. Hopefully, when things reopen, uh, you know, I'll, you know, there'll be it'll be nice. I'm sure. Would love to have him. Yeah, he's he's good. Well, I've not seen him perform, but he was he was a good guest on a podcast. He he gave okay. he gave he gave. No, that doesn't sound right. But you can't. You, it, you know, it would have been the fake answer for me to say he's good and then not seen him perform. But he's, he was an all right, he was a lovely bloke to talk to on the podcast. So, oh, okay. Um, uh, tr truth be told, you've never seen me perform either. That is true. I've seen you host, but not perform as a stand up. Yeah, yeah. How was my hosting? I mean, that's not really anything to judge on. It was just <laughs> an open mic night. You're bringing <laughs> comedians up. There was no audience there. We can't really judge yeah. anything there. It was just a, sort of a road test, didn't it? All, all that was of us. weird, though, wasn't it? I mean, we 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 did. It was it was just like the four of us talking to the, the public, whom we could not see or hear. It was so weird. So I've since then I've made sure that every time I do a virtual show, I at least have some people. There are audience members in the Zoom room. So yeah, I can do it for free. Like. Like we would broadcast it out to Facebook or to YouTube, but in in the in the 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 the, the channel or I don't know what you call it the meeting room, there would be at least ten to fifteen or even up to twenty people that are non-comedians that have their sounds on. So at least there are we feel that we, there's there are people that we can engage with. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean I I like I I like <laughs> yeah the Zoom shows. I don't I don't like them. It is. I don't like the online shows. It's just, yeah. um, there's the two parties, isn't there, Reza? There's some that really like the online shows, and there's some that don't really like it. And I'm on the party that don't really like it because I don't think it's. It's like you're talking to someone Call of Duty, or something. Yeah. It doesn't feel like you're doing a gig. Yeah, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. I don't mind it personally. I don't mind it. I wasn't, I'm not keen about it. I'm more of a live, you know, uh, uh, in your face person, literally and figuratively. Uh, but uh, when I did it, some uh, around this year, and there were actual people in, there were like, I think I did it to like 40 people in, in, in the Zoom meeting, right? And I asked them all if they have a quiet environment or if they have headphones on to, unmute their sound and they did and then I started doing my routine and I could hear the laughs and and it almost sounded like an actual gig 
And I think I did like half an hour, I think. Well, I was supposed to do 25 minutes or 20, 20, I was supposed to do 20 minutes, sorry. I was supposed to do 20 minutes. And I ended up doing half an hour because I was genuinely having a great time. Yeah, I mean, it's, 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 it depends on you, isn't it, as, as a whole one? I've heard some of my comic friends are doing like corporate gigs when they're on Zoom. They just, they just ended up improvising, doing crowd work. It's, <clears throat> I mean, it's just here to stay. I think there'll still be Zoom shows going on even when everything does return to normal across the globe after all of this and clubs and everything. I, I'm Zoom's here to stay, mate. Yeah, I agree. So one of the things that I find, <clears throat> let me have a look. Yeah, so is <clears throat> one what what led to what led to um you becoming the pizza hut dvd special of comedy <laughs> that's very insulting from what pizza okay I okay mean. okay let's say let's say pizza express <laughs> ah, that's better because we actually have our own version of garlic dough balls uh, which was a reverse engineer version of what the Pizza Express people were doing. And I would not have heard, by the way, I would not have heard of Pizza Express or Dough Balls if it weren't for Ollie Horn, who helped me uh, design the menu. So yeah. because, so when, when, we, when we got into, uh, into lockdown, we were really in trouble, you know, in, 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 in sustaining an income to pay rent. So we had to make a decision. We had to either do, you know, what everybody, what every other event promoter was doing, which was get into the whole hybrid uh, virtual event uh, running and invest in HD cameras, boom sound, what, what do you call it? Zoom sound mics and whatever, all these, you know, ex expensive gadgets, right? So I couldn't afford that. I couldn't afford HD cameras and such and such sound equipment and all that green screen and whatever. I'm not a very tech person. I'm kind of, I'm like, I'm like a, I'm like a boomer pretending to be a millennial. If that makes any sense, right? I'm, I'm, I'm not very tech savvy. So I, I didn't choose that road. I instead went to the, to the F&B road, right? The, the, the food business, which is a very competitive business, especially here in Kuala Lumpur, because there is immense abundance of vast choice when it comes to food for Malaysians, right? So we'd be joining a, joining a very competitive market. But I knew that we had like some, we had an edge, we had a narrative because for the past seven years, we were known to be the home of the grassroots comedy scene. We were, we were known to have, you know, the, the affordable international comedy shows in a comedy club uh, venue. And now with the pandemic, people know that we're, we lost our income. So we'd have a narrative. We would have a story of, as to why we are getting into the food business. So I knew for sure that our regulars, our fans, our, the people that would support Crack House will definitely give our food a try one time. And it was gonna be, a lot of hard work to make sure that they become repeat customers and they tell us about their friends about, hey, the food is really good. 
you should give it a try. And you know, word of mouth has been our, you know, has been has been putting rice in my bowl uh, for my entire career. It, it, I'm sure you might have looked up our m personally my online presence. It is shit. I have the least amount of followership on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter of all the comedians in Kuala Lumpur. Yet I make a sustainable living out of it purely by word of mouth. Similarly to Crack House, we never put up a big budget to advertise, to market it. In fact, what we were doing was very edgy and the stuff that was going down would otherwise be seditious, uh, even to a point where governments or political parties would want us to shut down because of the stuff we were saying, you know? So we never wanted, we were always under the radar. People always heard about Crack House through, through word of mouth. So we wanted the same effect for our food, right? So we wanted to come up with something that was so good, people will talk about us. Now, what would we sell? Western or Asian food? Obviously, we went with something Western because stand-up comedy itself is a Western art form. Uh, we, we borrowed stand-up comedy itself and we infused our own voice in it. Similarly, what we're doing to Western food, we're going to infuse our own voice into uh, what is essentially a Western creation. And what type of Western food can everybody enjoy? Friends and family, kids alike, pizza. So, and I've always had a fantasy to open a pizzeria of my own before I became a comedian. I always wanted to, I was, I love pizzas. And so I, I did three and a half, three and a half months of intense R&D. I was eat, sleep, drinking, walking, everything. Pizza, 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 pizza. Talking to people about pizza. Every time I was on the internet, I'd YouTube something about pizza. I would just I'd try out this dough, that dough, everything. And I also have a partner, Shankar Santiram, who is my, the other partner that's still with me in Crack House, who's also a restauranter. So he has a lot of uh, insights as to how to run a restaurant business. So uh, we make everything ourselves. We make our own, our own dough base. We make our own sauce. We marinate our own meat. The only thing we do not make is the cheese because we don't own a cow. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so, so we knew that be, selling something universal like pizza and giving it a funny twist to it, calling it funny names, you know, the, the, our lamb pizza is called Mary, had a big one as well, had a big one too. Uh, you know, our, uh, our beef pizza was supposed to be called Frisky Brisket. It's so good, you can, you, you know, it make you horny, but we changed it to I Got Beef. Uh, our chicken pizza is called Ayam What I Am because Ayam is the Malay word for chicken, and so and and also my partner Shankar Santinam had you know wanted us to stand out because if we were to go into the food business we'd be entering a very competitive market we'd be doing what everybody else is doing selling food so we needed to stand out like I said we we had that narrative so how do we include our comedy brand in in our food we get international headliners to provide us a one minute clip, a one minute uh, joke clip, if you will, specially made for the customers of our, our pizza orders. 
and I would take this one minute clip and I would put it in a QR code on a business card that had their face on it. And I would stick it on the box and with a, with a message now on the box saying, thank you. And please enjoy your one minute free comedy clip by scanning this. And I, sh and I draw an arrow to the, to the QR code. And every time you order a pizza, you should get a different comedian. Uh, like I said, we have the first comedian I got was Imran Yusuf, uh, who's a fantastic UK comic and a really swell guy. Uh, and Paulo Gata from the US. And then of course I got the local boys in as well, Dr. Jason Leong, Kevin Jay, uh, and even Ollie Horn is on it. I got a card myself. So at least we have something else. We, we, we'd have an edge rather than just selling food like everybody else, you know? Mm. So you stand out. You, yeah, exactly. You, it's like, you know, when you go to KS, you see the hot wings are the best thing. And like with chips, you need a bit of sauce in it to make it good. What you guys are, you're the ketchup sauce to chips with the pizza. You're giving extra flavoring to the food. Mm -hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and, and not just pizzas too. We also have like, you know, side dishes, chicken wings, garlic dough balls, which is a pizza express thing. Is that true? Is it, I mean, I, like I said, I, I've never heard of it until Oli uh, Horn uh, talked about it with me. Because we, we wanted a garlic bread option and he was like, well, Pizza Express has these, these things called dough balls. Is, is, is that right, Marvin? It's good, it's very good. Ah, so we so we make we make our own version of balls, garlic bread balls. <laughs> you make your own version of balls, and we call it. Wait for it, Ollie's greasy balls. <laughs> and it comes with your, with your with the melted melted herb butter drizzle, or as we call it, the rizzle drizzle. <laughs> For you to pour all over the balls. <laughs> oh, it's, it's okay. So it's being used for Netflix and chill then. <laughs> yeah, 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 that's fine. Yeah. yeah. No, I mean, what's, 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 I mean, one thing that's really interesting about what you said there is I want to find out about what was the reaction towards it and how did it get to where it is now? Were people like, a bit shocked by it? And then they grew to like it, and now it's boom, 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 boom. Or was well, it? Well, the idea is appealing, right? Because I mean, yeah. people never came to Crack House for the food. Heavens no, because the food was just bar snacks, right? Potato chips, nachos, hot dogs, you know, f you know, uh, uh, just you know, uh, yeah, cheap bar snacks before. So when we finalized this menu we were so excited about it right so we shouted it out to the public and it and it, it, it definitely intrigues people the menu is funny enough to read people people and you know we, we we sell the fact that we make everything our own it was done with no shortcuts uh everything is made fresh to order uh, this and that so it would intrigue people and we were very lucky because in january well, i started researching pizzas from december right up to January, right up to February. Come end of February, beginning of March, we, our funds were already low. I was already getting really scared. We were running out of money to pay rent. All the money I had in the company was all in food that was in the chillers, in the, 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 the fridges, right? 
and uh, we were ready to go online and 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 announce to the public that you can order a homemade pizza with a, with a comedy joke, with a one minute joke from the Crack House Comedy Club. Before you know it, the lockdown was lifted. Cases were at an all time low. We, we were getting only single digit new cases every day, Marvin. We were getting five new cases every day, sometimes two cases, sometimes zero cases per day. So the government lifted the lockdown and he allowed live events to continue with half the capacity following standard well, SOPs, right? Uh, following uh, restrictions, right? So one meter apart, temperature checks, uh, a co contact tracing app registration, so on and so forth. So this gave us a window for people to try our food in-house, fresh from the oven, while we, was, we could go back to live shows. And it was quite funny because we were so engrossed in, in building a pizza menu, we kind of went like, oh, we can do live shows again. We walked over to the sound system. We're like, how do we turn this on again? <laughs> we at the microphone, we're like, so we plugged this in, right? <laughs> we were like a bit, a bit lost, right? One year after lockdown. So people were flocking the club, man. It's, it's like you say now, like in the UK, people are much more appreciative of, of any, any comedian they would watch. They're not so much caring about you know, whose name is on the poster, they will come. Similarly, what happened in Kuala Lumpur, when they lifted the lockdown, people were so happy to come out to a live event. We had people, new audiences coming in for the, after seven years, people coming into the crack house for the first time, never seen a live comedy show. And then our regulars started coming back in. So they had, they had firsthand trying out our food in the club and the response thankfully was positive, it was so positive. People were so surprised, like this is really good. So it was getting a reputation of its own already. So next thing you know, for, we, had, uh, we had shows for two months, right? The government lifted the lockdown two months before we went back into a, a third lockdown, which is now looking to be the longest and most serious one. So luckily we had that two month window for people to try our food in, in our club. So there was, so people already, there was already a, a window for marketing our food. And then, so then we went back into lockdown. So then we, okay, now we can put this delivery business to the test. And it works to some level. I mean, as I said, the food business in Malaysia is very competitive. Very, 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 very competitive. So some nights we would sell you know, 25 pizzas, which is very good take. Some nights we would only sell two pizzas, Marvin, just two. You know, so we're getting by. We're sustaining, which the way things are going now is honestly a lot more than we can ask for just to survive. This is not a time to be making money at the moment. People are, people in Malaysia are dying. People in Malaysia are losing their jobs. N nobody's, nobody's keen on really supporting a comedy club now. People are more keen on supporting their fellow neighbor who is, you know, having their electricity cut off, having their water supply cut off, 
having lose their parents in, in a span of three months, leaving their kids to fend for themselves. So people are not looking to, worried about how is this comedy club gonna survive? People are now looking to help other people. So the business isn't, like I said, isn't, going, isn't thriving to say the least. It isn't thriving, but we're getting by. And thankfully people are generous enough to help sponsor pizzas for those who otherwise can't afford pizzas. Okay. And that's what, so you'd say that it's brought out some good in people as well. In that yeah. Shown. Yeah. Th that's one thing, I guess the silver lining behind the pandemic, the, the lockdown is that people are coming out to help each other because God knows we can't rely on our government anymore. It's coming to a point where we actually, we genuinely think the government is out to kill us. They, they really look like they don't give a shit. They absolutely do not give a shit. They are lying about the numbers. They're coming out saying everything is okay. The economy is picking up. It's not, man. It is not. So we don't know what's going to happen. You know, we have no idea what's going to happen. When will this lockdown end? Will our, will, will our healthcare system recover? We don't know. So there are a lot more important things going on than the survival of a comedy club, you know? Right now, the comedy club is, doesn't just, is, is not so much now keeping the comedy scene alive. It's just mainly to keep me alive, to keep my kids, you know, healthy, you know? Mm. Right, did, I, did I bring this down a bit of a downer now? <laughs> <laughs> you say what? You say whatever you want to say. It's all good. <laughs> but as long as it's not racist or homophobic or <laughs> on, on those terms, then that's fine. But oh, I can be racist. Okay. Let's start. <laughs> no, <I'm joking. laughs> um, but what, but what, what, what would you say, um, what would you say is the silver lining to anything that's going on at the moment in Malaysia? And what what's what what can what what where where do you see see things going on a positive note when things when this is all over? Well, when all this is over. When we can go back to live shows again, I'm sure we will thrive. I'm so confident we will thrive. It's only a matter, it's only a question of, can we survive long enough to see the other end of this? That's the question now. And it's, it looks like we can. We look, I, I believe we can. I'm optimistic, we, we can do that. There are people out there that, that are you know, generous and very supportive of what I do. They're sponsoring pizzas for the poor, which helps my business, help me keep the lights on, helps me pay the rent at the club. So rest assured, but when we do reopen again, of course on good terms that the people are doing okay and the economy is still okay, people will flock to live entertainment. I guarantee you, people are so hungry 
for any kind of social gathering. I'm so sure restaurants, live event spaces are all going to be packed to the brim following SOPs with restrictions. But I'm sure that people are itching to, to go out. So that's probably something that we can look forward to. And look, I mean, there is the vaccine and like, I mean, that's going to be later on in the years, there'll be more people vaccinated, won't there, in Malaysia. So that's a good thing. And then you can start well, maybe. Well, that's, that's, well, that's the one thing the government is, is the, that's the only thing I should say, the only thing the government is, uh, is seems to be focusing their work on and they they're taking advantage that that is the only thing that they should be doing when in fact there, should, there could be more things right but i'm not going to get into it but yeah they've they've, they've they've been speeding up the vaccination process they've been doubling up on the numbers of people getting vaccinated every day um i myself have gotten my first dose of uh, astrazeneca so yeah hopefully i mean we've we went to a point where to get into the comedy club, you got to have low temperatures and you got to register yourself on the contract con contact tracing app. It's going to come to a point where you want to get in, you got to show us your vaccination card. You know what I mean? That's going to be something. I guarantee it. Guarantee. Okay. Now, one of the, we're going to, I'm not going to ask two Two more questions. Um, how does how does how does someone um, progress in the Malaysian scene when it gets back to normal? What is what is the what what is the what do you think the scene will be like when it gets back to normal? And what do you expect comedians should do if they want to if they're a new comic and they want to grow in a Malaysian scene when it's back to normal? Uh, I would say uh, always it depends on it depends on uh, on the on the person actually if they want to get into English speaking English stand up comedy uh, they can only survive purely on corporate gigs which is kind of my path kind of my area because I focus mainly on English stand up comedy. So my bread and butter has always been performing at, you know, dinner and what, what they call dinner and dance and weddings and, you know, birthday parties and so on and so forth. Uh, if you want to be a, a comedian in the Malay language, uh, then you need to, you know, probably be, uh, you know, get some, get some, uh, get some attention online, uh, you know, get to an influencer level on social media. Uh, maybe partake in some of the comedy competitions. Oh, they're so big on that, Marvin, here. Every comedy show in Malaysia is always about a bloody comp competition. So get on one of those. Uh, get, get yourself noticed by, you know, the, 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 the mainstream media, the TV execs. And, uh, but first of all, you got to be funny. Right. <laughs> of course. <laughs> oh God, wouldn't it? And there's only one way to find out, and that's to get your ass on stage on an open mic night somewhere, uh, either my place on Wednesday or other places on other nights. 
course. <laughs> it, it is, I mean, it's, I've heard horror stories of people getting on live at the Apollo and then bombing in front of 10,000 people. Oh God, you don't want that. You don't want that for your mental health and just for yeah. the people there. How do you bomb in front of 10,000 people? Because the higher the number, the easier the gig, right? I think we can all agree on that, right? As long as, as long as you, as long as you can, as long as you can uh, um, satisfy half the people in the theater, in the arena, you got it, you, you're doing well. How do you bomb 10,000 in front of 10,000 people? Am I being too cocky when I say shit like that? Oof. I am, right? Uh, I think what, what I I heard that David Chappelle bombed in the Apollo as well, but it's it's I mean it's, Hammersmith Apollo. No, in in the Apollo in America, some big stadium. I heard he bombed, and then Richard Pryor's son bombed in there as well. Sure. But it's it's yeah. I mean, you want to. That's the thing, isn't it? One thing that's I heard. Yeah, what a lot of comedians now are doing, trying to build their social media profile. But then I'm hearing from other comics, then if you're spending so much time and you're developing your audience and getting a crowd, then couldn't it also adversely affect your stand-up? Yeah. But one thing I want to say from all this, it's been, you've given a lot of interesting tales and it's been interesting that you've given me an insight into how difficult it is from the other side, because in the UK it's it's recovering, and it's it's for anyone that doesn't take it seriously, take it seriously. <laughs> and how how do people sort of find out about you and support you guys? Uh, social media, I would say, we're, we're we're always posting about what we're doing, who we're sending out pizzas to. Uh, as I mentioned to you earlier, uh, people are coming out and sponsoring us to send pizzas to the impoverished. So we're always, we're always updating them on social media, telling them to who, we're, to who we're sending it to. And if people wanna reach out to them, to that organization directly, they can do so. Uh, so, you know, we put all our information on, on Twitter, on Instagram, on Facebook. Uh, I, I've given up on email marketing now, Marvin. I've actually canceled my subscription with the email marketing because I've not seen any returns from it. And 150 US dollars a month is, is something I cannot afford anymore. <laughs> yeah. So uh, don't, don't bother subscribing to our mailing list. That's what I should say. Follow us on social media. Yeah. Yeah. And what's how do they donate? I mean, would they, how, how much do they have to pay for the postage for the pizzas? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, I, I don't know, actually. I mean, yeah, I don't think it's worth trying to send over ready meal pizzas uh, across the ocean. Uh, but if I mean, if people from people listening, uh, you know, from the UK, if they want to help out through the pay it forward initiative that we got going, uh, they can get in touch with us on social media and, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll give them uh, bank details so they can do a wire transfer to, and we will update them as to where and when the, their funds get dispersed uh, out to the poor. Uh, so, yeah, uh, but we, we, I guess, I guess I should say that we will only cover our areas in the state where we are. I don't think we can we can send pizzas to Europe, and I don't think they need them either from here. So, yeah. 
<laughs> you know, we, we need to, we need to, what's it, we, we, we don't have enough. Yeah, come on, man. We, we send one over. Let's see what happens. Let's see what it looks like after it comes in about two days. I'm sure there's like, a, there's a packaging for that, right? Some kind of steel, insulated steel box or something. I think the packaging would cost more than the postage. Oh, yes. <laughs> That'd be quite something. I might do it. <laughs> but one thing I want to say is what is the biggest, I'm going to leave it on this. What is a quote what, or what is the biggest lesson you've learned in life? Wow, that's a big one. <laughs> Uh, uh, don't trust anybody who wants to be in charge. That's probably something that just popped in my head. I don't know whether that's the biggest lesson in life, but right now that's what I'm going with. Do not trust anybody who wants to be in charge. Uh, I just, you know, they, they're just, they're just, I don't know. It's like, don't feed into their narcissism. Oh God. I don't know, Marvin, that kind of, that question kind of put me in the spot. What is the biggest lesson in life? Good Lord. Uh, don't trust Australian comedians as business partners. <laughs> <laughs> I would be whose initials are J and A. Yeah, let's just leave it at that. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's been an absolute pleasure, Rizal. Everyone, make sure you help Rizal and the Crack House Comedy Club. Uh, make sure you subscribe, share it with your friends, and give us a five-star review. It's been an absolute pleasure, guys. Likewise. Thank you, Marvin.